On today's episode of the John Campy Show podcast, did Marvel make a mistake by having the Guardians break up at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy 3? Also, the Blue Beetle director, he's got a new movie coming out. It's an action film with Jason Momoa and Dave Bautista. We'll discuss that. Also, why did the Directors Guild able to settle a deal with the studios while the actors and the writers went on strike. Also, we're going to talk about what we think are the five best superhero films that absolutely flopped at the box office. That and a whole bunch more. The John Campbell Show podcast starts right now. Well, Greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best damn movie-related show on the planet Earth, the John Campbell Show, coming to you from right here in our quaint little studio, brought to you in part by our friends at Mint Mobile. I am, of course, your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world. Movies, movie news, TV, streaming, all sorts of good stuff. Not just giving you our opinions, but giving you some information and context so you guys can form your own well-informed opinions, whether they're the same or completely different from ours. I'm joined in studio today by Ray Ora. Game day, baby. Jonathan Voico. <laughs> what game day? Chris Carr's in the house. Ahsoka. Oh, yeah. And of course, most importantly, you guys are here. Thank you so much for being here, making this show part of your day. Here's how it's going to go. We're going to start off by discussing those topics we listed off, but then we're going to go over and take questions from our YouTube channel members. And we ask our YouTube channel members every day to send us some topics for us to discuss, and we'll get through as many of those as we can. Also want to remind you guys, if you happen to be checking out this show on the YouTube channel, this is probably best experienced in podcast format. This is indeed the podcast. Podcast. Uh, go and find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app of choice. So that way, the next time you're commuting, you're at the office, you're at the gym, you're out jogging, whatever, you can still experience the glory of the John Campion Show podcast <laughs> in audio format. All right. With that down, uh, yep, should mention it is Game Day Ahsoka comes out today. Yep, yep. Uh, again, we discussed the other day that they made a great move. They're releasing it at prime time now, Chris. I'm very excited. You don't have to stay up to midnight or get I up never early. Have. I know you don't have to get up early the next day to watch it. <laughs> Which They're is dropping very nice. the first two episodes, like about, so about an hour and a half worth of uh, Ahsoka, 22 minutes after credits. Uh, but yeah, we're gonna get tonight. Is and it gonna be more like Mandalorian season one, or is it gonna be more like the Book of Boba Fett? Well, we're getting a full two episodes, right tonight. Yeah, that's why mm -hmm. I said you'll uh, yeah, get like so, about so an hour and a half worth. Are, so I'm hoping. I'm not sure how Apple does it, but I'm hoping Invasion Season 2 comes out at midnight tonight. Why do you have to ruin this discussion by bringing up Invasion? <laughs> because I why like do, the show. Why do you have to sully this discussion by bringing up I Invasion? I can't be excited about another show, too. No, not Invasion. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad you like it. All right. With that <laughs> no, all down, not. guys, let's jump into it with no, this. Not. <laughs> you know, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, you know, it had its a great theatrical run, making north of 800 million dollars. Uh, it's been out on Disney Plus streaming now for about a month. And one of the things that, you know, we knew James Gunn told all of us long before the movie came out, this is the final chapter of this group of Guardians of the Galaxy. Right? They they made that public before the movie ever hit theaters, that this will be the final chapter of this collection of Guardians of the Galaxy moving forward. And of course, for those of us who saw the movie, that is indeed the case. So the question is, though, 
Did Marvel make a mistake doing that? And that is the topic of today's Mint Mobile hotline question of the day. Listen, guys, if you've got a question for our show and you'd like to hear your voice on it, you can go ahead and call it in anytime, 24-7 at our hotline, 951-268-4259. We'll pick one or two every day to get to. And indeed, the topic of today's is, did Marvel make a mistake breaking up the Guardians of the Galaxy? Check it out. Hey, John and crew. It's Philip from Arkansas. I just got done watching Guardians 3, and it was great. But, spoiler alert, at the end, they break up. Do you think that that was the wisest decision, considering there is, like, no unity in the MCU right now? No matter what they do, it feels like at this point they're just going to pull a reverse and say, yeah, there's no Avengers. Well, just kidding. Yeah, there actually are. And, oh, no Guardians. Well, yeah, now there actually are. I don't know. I just feels weird to me. What did you think? Love to hear your thoughts. Bye. All right. Thanks a lot for calling that in, Philip. And it's it's bittersweet. I mean, look, we got introduced to the Guardians. First of all, it's easy for a lot of us to take for granted today. But when they first announced that they were doing a Guardians of the Galaxy movie, everybody pulled a who? Like, nobody knew who they were talking about and why on earth. As a matter of fact, uh, it was them announcing Guardians of the Galaxy that led me and the late, great John Schnepp to meeting. Uh, I was running AMC Movie News, and I thought, you know, I knew a little bit about the Guardians of the Galaxy in the comics, but I called a mutual friend, and I said, hey, do we know anybody that really knows Guardians of the Galaxy? He's like, ah, I got this friend of mine. His mm. name's John Schnepp. He knows everything about Guardians of the Galaxy. So me and Schnepp got on the phone. I invited him in as a guest to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy, and we just hit it off great and we said we should do this more often and then he <laughs> kind of became a regular member but that's kind of what led to that and then we got guardians 2 and then guardians 3 recently in theaters and guardians 3 was fantastic they did a great job with it but it was going to be the end you know james gunn was leaving marvel uh he's gonna be going over to take over dc he had already started making some films for dc and uh he said this is gonna be it this is gonna be the conclusion of the story so by the end of Guardians 3, and again, the movie's been available for free on streaming if you have Disney Plus for almost a month now. So if you're really excited about Guardians 3, you've already seen it. But uh, true to James Gunn word, by the end of the film, the Guardians have disbanded, right? And they kind of put together, true to James Gunn's word, a, a new collection of Guardians for the most part. But was that a mistake? Because as one of the things that Philip brought up, you well, one of the big problems of the MCU right now is that it just it feels completely disjointed. It's not just the lack of a one main storyline, but it just feels each film feels completely like they're in different universes from each other. You don't feel a lot of continuity. You don't feel a lot of unity. You don't feel a lot of um, you know that cohesiveness that the MCU was known for having for the first number of phases. Was it a mistake to break them up? Well. The, the, the hard part of me wants to say yes, because I love this group of characters. I want to see them continue together and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, we had three Guardians films. We had the Guardians and a couple of Avengers movies. And here's the biggest reality of it. Um, Dave Bautista was not coming back to the MCU after this. I mean, Dave Bautista, right or wrong, 
burned a lot of bridges with Disney when they first fired James Gunn. I mean, Dave Bautista was very, very public. And he's even talked in recent years, too, about just the, the physical demands of trying to play Drax. I mean, he's the only guy in that cast who has to walk around without a shirt on. And I believe he's in his 50s now. If you can look that up for me, the age of Dave Bautista, Ray, but I believe Dave's in his 50s now. So that gets harder and harder. But it became clear he wasn't 54. coming back. He's 54. So uh, not that he can't look great for another 15 years if you want to, but it's re- it's getting more and more difficult for him. He, like he, And he said that a lot. It's getting harder and harder and harder for him to maintain that type of physique, not to mention all the personal issues he had with Disney. And that was coming to an end. Zoe Saldana recently kind of made it really clear that she was, hey, listen, she had done her duty. She had brought this great Nebula character to the MCU, but she's kind of hinted many times that her road in this journey is now done. You mean Gamora? Yeah, Zoe Saldana. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> the, the actress Zoe Saldana oh, yeah, who plays I, Gamora. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because I thought you said Nebula. That's no, 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 no. Zoe Saldana. So okay. did I say Nebula? I don't think I said Nebula. Mm-hmm. Maybe I did. Anyway, she said she had finished her run with this. And James Gunn was clearly now departing. And James Gunn was the, the father head of this family. And so even if they didn't want to bring the story of the Guardians to a conclusion, they weren't really going to be able to keep the band together anyway. So it's not really even so much of a question as did Marvel make a mistake? It's like, that's just the hand they got. They really weren't going to have them. Now, of course, they did end up still keeping a Guardians of the Galaxy team together with a couple of original members. And we may indeed see that Guardian. I doubt they're going to make their own movies but I have a feeling we're going to see this iteration of Guardians of the Galaxy further down the line. We're obviously going to see more Star-Lord and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, listen, am I going to miss this iteration of Guardians of the Galaxy? Yes. Was it a mistake to break them up? First of all, they didn't really have a choice because a couple of the actors were done. But the secondly, it's like, you know what? Sometimes good stories just need to come to an end and you need to move on to the next chapter. So I don't know, Chris, I know you love the Guardians of the Galaxy mm-hmm. films. What do you think about the question that Philip's asking? I completely understand where Philip's coming from because it is that spaghetti at the wall situation with Marvel right now of what's sticking, what's not, and are they going to scrap certain things? Are they moving forward in a way that makes sense? We keep hearing about how this is the the cosmic phase of things, but is it... Is it, you know, (laughs) we're not quite sure what's happening here. From a comic book standpoint, though, I'm really excited about them changing things up. To your point about the actors and everything, that totally makes sense. Everyone should move on with their journeys. And, you know, they've been playing these characters for a long time. But from a comic book standpoint, there's so much cool stuff here now to explore that I think could make things make sense for this cosmic chapter. Right. We've got Phyla in the group now. Phyla Vell, who obviously there are going to be some reworkings of her origin, but now we can deal with the negabands or quantum bands that she wears, that Ms. Marvel wears, all that kind of stuff that Shang-Chi has. Maybe there is a connection like they've kind of hinted at and never dealt with really aside from, oh, hey, that's a thing. Maybe we'll start talking about that. Or maybe it's just more red herrings everywhere. But that gets me excited, though. Maybe we'll explore that kind of thing about how all this works. And maybe then Ant-Man's presence in the quantum realm will make more sense and we have more reason to explore those things in a way that actually carries a big, epic storyline like we kind of came accustomed to with Marvel. Mm, So I think this opens up a lot of opportunities for storytelling. 
at the end of the day, though, as long as I have Rocket and Groot, <laughs> that's all I care about. Yes. But I mean, this wasn't even the original lineup in the comics. You know, it was it was Yondu and Vance Astro. There's so many different Guardians. This team constantly changes. And while we all get attached to them as moviegoers, and that's who what we've known, there are so many other really exciting folks who can join up the group that I think can still hold their own as well. Wasn't Venom one of the Guardians of the Galaxy too? For I a believe while? at some point. Yeah, yeah, I think at some point he was too. Anyway, guys. Question is for you. What do you think? Do you think it was a mistake to break up the Guardians? Do you understand? Do you think, yeah, maybe just stories have to come to an end? I don't know. Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. With that down, let's move on to this here, shall we? You know, Blue Beetle is now in theaters. Uh, quite a good little movie. I, I really quite enjoyed it. It did horribly uh, in its opening weekend, making only $25 million. We talked about this yesterday. The lowest box office opening for a DCU film since Wonder Woman 84. And some of the movies that opened bigger than Blue Beetle did only went on to make under $200 million at the box office. So here's hoping the Blue Beetle can have many legs. That aside, though, we now got word that the director of Blue Beetle, I don't know how he likes his first name pronounced. I've only read... What's that? Angel. It is Angel. Okay. Mm -hmm. As you said, I don't know if they pronounce it Angel or if they pronounce it like they did in Dexter, Angel. Mm -hmm. So Angel Manuel Soto, who directed Blue Beetle and did a very good job directing it. Well, he is now signed on to a new project directing a movie called Wrecking Crew that is going to be a buddy action comedy with Jason Momoa and Dave Bautista. This comes to us from Deadline, who write this. Dave Bautista, Guardians of the Galaxy franchise, and Jason Momoa, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, are teaming up with Blue Beetle director and Hel Manuel Soto on The Wrecking Crew, the buddy action comedy that they have set up at MGM. The story goes on. Batista and Momoa were both in talks for the film, scripted by Warrior creator Jonathan Troper, long before the SAG after strike. Troper's deal was negotiated and closed and his script submitted prior to the WGA strike began in early May. Plot details are under wraps for now, but Batista Momoa sold the pitch to MGM following a four-bitter bitter battle in the fall of 2021 as we first we were the first to report. Jeffrey Frierson, uh, Momoa's collaborator on the Netflix-slash-Discovery Canada series Frontier, I've seen that show, not very good, uh, will <laughs> produce. So, yeah, we got... This is kind of like fantasy football, putting together Jason Momoa and Dave Bautista, two guys that you'd think would be competing for the same kind of role, but they're going to be in an action buddy cop thing together. And uh, this is going to be interesting. Listen, I everybody knows the affection I have for Dave Bautista. I think he's fantastic. He's He has, though, struggled when given the responsibility to be the leading guy in a film. We don't need to revisit Stuber or what's the one he had with the little girl where he was like the secret I, agent. I thought that was Stuber. <laughs> no, no. Stuber he did with Kamel Nagiani. Oh yeah. Stuber too. I, but that's like <laughs> that's a, a wrestling rite of passage is you have to do a movie with a kid where you're a reluctant guardian. Yeah, that that's true. That's Vin Diesel we, did it. Yeah. Dwayne The Rock Johnson did it. Uh, neither oh, very Hogan good. But, did it. Yep. <laughs> but, I mean, Stuber was one I was actually pretty excited about, but it, that was that was a bad film. So putting these two guys together could be interesting. Again, I, I think Soto did a very, very good job directing Blue Beetle, uh, juggling the ideas of some heavy emotional elements, the family elements with fun comic book style action and humor. And he just did a really good job putting it all together. And if you can get 
two guys like Dave Batista and Jason Momoa, two guys that I like very much watching on screen. I think this could be kind of fun. Now, uh, Jonathan, you were asking me earlier if this was a remake of an older uh, film Dean, called Dean Wrecking Mar- Crew. Yeah, the Dean, Dean Martin. Martin one. And there was a series, called they were called The Wrecking Crew. From the 60s. So now that makes me want to like go back and watch some of those and, and watch see if there's them. any. Now, by the a- way, but that's the thing. We don't know if this is a remake of that yeah. or they just happen to be using the same title because they're just saying details are being kept under wraps. Anyway, Chris, you hear about this. You know, Jason Momoa and Dave Bautista together, starring together in a movie. Feels weird, buddy. I, buddy, action cop. What do you like about this? I mean, I you know that I love Jason Momoa, yeah. my golden retriever energy boy. I'm so excited about that, and I hope they let Dave Batista rock that golden retriever energy as well. Or maybe they'll make him more Rottweiler, so they can play off of each other. And there's some I'm too old for this shit kind of dynamic happening here. But I think this should be super, super fun. These are two guys who are great at action, who really have been the best parts of some things too. I love Drac so much. Those clips from Fast and Furious, because that's all I've seen, are just cut scenes of Jason Momoa. <laughs> Did you see him, the painting nails scene? Yes, the painting How nails good is scene, that scene is so good. I And I just love everything he does, too. He did that great little um, Slumberland movie on Netflix recently. He's been doing a lot of things that I think have kind of flown under the radar where he's just great in it. And so I really, really would like this to be a wonderful vehicle for both of them. I also just think that and this is just purely based off of CinemaCon, Momoa and Hell's vibe seems very, very similar. They both yeah. seem like two really laid back dudes. Because <laughs> um, Hell was dressed like just so cool the whole time. He's such an awesome looking dude. I love his style. I love all his tats. I think he's great. <laughs> um, and I feel like they would just get along really well. So I hope this is a really fun collaborative project for the three of them because I really want all three to have a win. These are three guys who I really, really enjoy. And I think I've... Ray or Jonathan, correct me if I'm wrong. I think there has been a story in the past too about Jason Momoa and Dave Bautista have gone out for the same roles before. That would make sense. Yeah, I, I think we've done a story about that maybe back in the AMC days mm. about something like that. So it's it's weird for me to wrap my head around. Again, it just seems like these are two guys that would be competing for a role, but rather now they're going to be in a buddy action thing together. <sighs> Two very alpha male kind of leads. But that can make such an interesting dynamic. Yeah. You know, very, very different types of actors. But that's what was the thing with Good Omens, with David Tennant and Michael Sheen. Right. They kept not working together because they were always auditioning against each other. And then once they finally got to play as, you know, these this odd couple kind of situation. Angel and demon. It's, it's one of the best pairings we've ever had on television. So maybe we'll have that same lightning in a bottle here when you get two people in the same room who usually have to go against each other that you can really have some fun dynamic work. All right. Well, guys, what do you think? I, I mean, I got to be honest with you. Because I like Blue Beetle so much, and I do like Jason Momoa and Dave Bautista both so much, even without a lot of details other than it's a buddy action film, sign me up. Now the big question is going to be who's the bad guy in it? Who do you get as the bad guy when Jason Momoa and Dave Bautista are your heroes? Daniel Radcliffe. You know the, um, the uh, Jason Momoa uh, show? I was going to say Steve Buscemi. Yes, on the one on Apple, Apple TV+. Plus. Dave Bautista was on Yeah, he was a villain two. on it. Yeah, so they yeah, had so a robbery already. So they, they had something on screen stuff. See, oh, I yeah, could see them as foils to each see. other on C. I could yeah. see them like I can see them as foils, but as a buddy action. By the way, C... The one Apple Plus show I didn't really like, despite the fact that I love Jason Momoa I've so much. I've only seen bits and pieces because Logan's yeah. really into it. Again, of course yeah, Logan's Logan really likes into it. it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. 
With that down, guys, we still have to talk about uh, the strikes that are going on. Why did the directors manage to land a deal while the writers and the actors were not? We're also going to talk about what our picks are for the very best superhero movies that also happen to completely flop at the movie theaters. But before we get to that, we're going to take just a second here and thank one of the sponsors of today's episode of the John Campus Show podcast, our friends at Rocket Money. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video, Rocket Money. Did you know that the average person has around 12 paid subscriptions and they might not even remember to subscribing to half of those? If you have no idea just how much you're spending each month, you need Rocket Money. It's this great app that tracks all of your expenses so you know exactly where your money is going. I recently just found out that over 80% of people have subscriptions that they've completely forgotten about. Seriously, think about how many free trials you subscribe to that you just probably never canceled. And that's why I'm such a big fan of Rocket Money, because I was one of those people. When I signed up to Rocket Money, I was stunned to find out that a gym I had belonged to in another city I lived in, I had still been paying my dues to for over two years. Also, that music subscription service I use, yeah, I forgot I was subscribed to two other ones. That's where Rocket Money comes in, because Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. With over 3 million users and counting, Rocket Money customers have saved on average of $720 a year. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions and manage your money the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash campia. That's rocketmoney.com slash campia. Rocketmoney.com slash campia. And thank you to our friends at Rocket Money for sponsoring this episode of the John Campia Show podcast. All right, guys, with that down, uh, let's talk about this, shall we? You know, there are two strikes going on in Hollywood right now that are have effectively shut the entire industry down. So obviously, uh, recently, the actors went on strike, but long before them, we had the writers went on strike. We're getting close to now three months since the writers have been on strike, and uh, that's been pretty brutal, but it got even more brutal, more significantly brutal, when the actors then went on strike. Because even though the, the writers went on strike... Uh, productions were still going on, movies were still being shot, all kinds of stuff. But when the actors went on strike, all that was done. It was all wrapped up. And now we're starting to see bubblings of a lot of frustration amongst people outside of the Writers Guild and the Actors Guild. You know, we've been seeing recent comments from like people in IATSE, people who don't have anything to do with the strikes. You know, the, the problems between the AMPTP and the WGA or the AMPTP and SAGs, they, they, have nothing, no, they have nothing to do with any of those problems, but those people are currently out of work and they can't get paid and they can't pay their bills because you got the AMPTP and you got the other organization. They, they can't get deals done and therefore a lot of other people outside of the AMPTP and then the various unions are, are hurting and suffering. You're starting to see some bubbling frustration about that, especially... When you've got, you know, we hear reports about months went by before sides even sat down. And now even places like Deadline are now running articles like this one. They're saying, lock yourselves in a room and don't come out until you shake hands on a deal. Now, that, that's been going around. And, and, and listen, there's a lot of issues on the table uh, some of them have a lot of nuance. Some of them are more straightforward than others. Some of them aren't as straightforward as they seem. We get, there's a lot of complicated issues on the table, but the unfortunate reality is it's not just the immediate players involved that are being affected. There's a lot of other people in the industry being affected by this who they have no dog in this fight and yet they're kind of getting hurt by it too. And so you start seeing stuff like this. It, it's in that context that last night 
um, Ann and I had dinner with a director who, whose movies you would recognize if I mentioned them, um, and his wife. And as we were having dinner, I brought up the question, you know, the, the issue of the strikes came up obviously because, you know, his, some of his stuff has been kind of uh, delayed as well. And I asked him the question. I said, out of curiosity, why was it that you guys were able to, at least seemingly on the surface, so painlessly able to get a deal done with the AMPTP? And why were the AMPTP able to get a deal done with you when they see incapable, the AMPTP seems incapable of getting a deal done with like the WGA and, uh, and SAG? And he said, you want to know the real reason? I said, sure. Now, remember, this is one person's perspective. Many members of the DGA, this is but one person's perspective who does not represent to speak for the entire DGA. But he said, do you want, want to know the real reason that nobody's talking about? I said, sure. He looked at me and said, SAG's deal was supposed to end on, I believe, June 30th. He said, you want to know when they sat down and had their first negotiating meeting? Like, I, I don't know. I said, June 7th. So three weeks, their official leadership had their first official sit-down negotiations with the AMPTP, and the AMPTP decided to have their first negotiations with SAG three weeks before their deals was going to expire, before a tentative strike date. He goes, we have been sitting down with the AMPTP since last year. We've been meeting with them for over 13 months. So that when we got close to when we would have our deadline stuff, we had most of our issues. So we didn't settle them quickly, took a while. But we got to a place. And so that's why in the news cycles, you never saw a lot of DGA drama because it's just we had already worked it all out. Um, he goes, why the AMPTP didn't have that kind of foresight and that type of initiative to get that stuff done with the others? And he said, you know, and he reminded me is, listen, a lot of the issues that we have, some are similar to what the DGA and the WG have. A lot of them are very unique to just us. It's not the same deal. It's not like all three unions had the same stuff on the table and they just, we were able to get one done and they weren't. They're different issues altogether. But he said, I, I think one of the big things is we were, the DGA was a lot more proactive or maybe the AMPTP was more proactive with the DGA than they were with the other unions. But he said, we, we've been working on this for a long time. And so there was never any news stories. It's just that as we got close to the deadline, we were able to announce we signed a deal because we've been working on it for a long time. So I, you couple that with the fact that you know, it was well over 100 days that the Writers Guild was on strike before the two sides even sat down and met. And listen, I, I don't give a flying fuck about was that the Writers Guild's fault? Was that the AMPTP's fault? I don't, I don't care. You simply just had two sides not sitting down together. And that's fine if it's just affecting the two sides, but it affected everybody else as well. And this right, the Actors Union has been on strike for a much shorter period of time. And... You know, hopefully progress is being made there and all that kind of stuff. And all this can wrap up shortly. But, you know, I, I have always been, not always, right around before the strike started with the actors, I, I got, the more and more I read about the SAG union leadership, it just made me wonder if they knew what they were doing. Not that they where they, they were were not asking for the right things. That, that's not, it's just, but were they capable of getting the things that they're putting on the table and they want to get. And, and I don't know. And then hearing somebody from the director's guild tell me, look, 
we worked on it longer. They didn't. I don't know. Chris, I'm so happy you're here because you are a member of SAG. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a, a member of SAG, by the way, before anybody thinks she's just a SAG stan who has expressed some frustrations with her own union leadership yes. in yeah. the past, right? So I think that makes you uniquely positioned to give some perspective of that. Oh, but you. when you sit back and look at the bigger question mm-hmm. of, you know, why was it the AMPTP seemed to either have the motivation to or the urgency to or which ever descriptor we want to put to it to get a deal done with the DGA. And yet they seem to be either unequipped, inept, unwilling, unable to get a deal done as quickly and as efficiently. Well, maybe it wasn't that quickly with the DGA, but, but seemingly on the surface as cleanly with the WGA or with your union SAG, what do you see some of the biggest differentiators there to, to people like myself and most people watching this who are on the outside looking in? What's your perspective on it? One of the big things here that we have to remember too is, so the DGA is comprised of about 19,000 members and SAG is 160,000 just to compare those numbers. Right. The DGA has not gone on strike since 1987 and they did for three hours. Right. They historically have not been a striking union because they typically do these very thorough negotiations that seemingly go their way. Um, 87% of uh, members voted in favor of the MPTP's things. Some people didn't like everything. Um, Their AI stuff, I think, is one of the reasons why maybe things got sorted a little quicker. Um, I want to make sure I get this language right. The studios did declare that generative artificial intelligence is not a person and cannot take over the duties of a Directors Guild member. But a lot of other people, um, I know one of the Wachowskis was saying that it's kind of still ambiguous language that they weren't crazy about. Mm. Um, but it was a little bit more clear cut than studios saying they wanted to supplement for writers or to clone actors right. or do things like that. So I think that's a, a hot button issue that seemingly got solved a little more cut and dry than the rest of us. I also, and this is pure speculation on my part. You're allowed to speculate. I think the directors missed their opportunity to shoot the shot. I don't think they saw both the WGA and the actors striking because I know members, again, like Lily Wachowski, member of the WGA, she was talking about how a lot of the AI things weren't great. A lot of the other things weren't great. And as a member of the Writers Guild, also had a different, unique kind of situation when it came to these different ongoing negotiations, right? So I don't know if things were as peachy keen for the directors as they could have been if maybe they were a little more intense, if maybe they were willing to go on strike. And I'm not a DGA member. I can't speak to all the ins and outs of what's all going on there. And I certainly can't speak to the ins and outs of being a director in itself. What a hard job. People, I think, assume it's just standing around looking important and pointing at things while everyone else does stuff. No, it's not. (laughs) It's so difficult and ridiculous. And my friends who do it, I am always just blown away by their ability to multitask and compartmentalize and lead and delegate in addition to being artists. But I do think that they probably could have gotten a better deal if they had just foreseen this big break. There was a great article in the New York Times, gosh, back in July, I guess right around the time that the actors decided to strike, talking about, it has a whole bunch of different tweets from directors too. Um, This is very much akin to kind of pandemic times in terms of work, right? Of just all of Hollywood being shut down. And right now, no matter what deal the directors got, it's not being implemented. They can't do anything. Right. So 
I feel like, sure, they probably had some clear cut things that made it easier to negotiate. Maybe to your friend's point too, they had a longer kind of time to percolate and figure out things. But now, and hindsight's always twenty twenty. now I'm wondering how great everyone feels about the deal they did accept in light of these other two unions striking. And my assumption is that's probably not 87% of them feeling as good about it anymore. I, I don't know. I only... I've only spoken to three out of the, how many members of the DJ? 19,000. 19,000 members yeah. of the DJ? Let's go yeah. poll. To I've the streets. To like, I've spoken to mm-hmm. three of 19,000, which mm-hmm. makes 0.0000001% of it. They all seem pretty happy. I mean, the, those at least those three seem pretty happy with with what they ended up with. Again, I, I just think you're going to find a situation, and, and I'm cognizant of this, that the WGA and SAG probably have a lot more in common in the things that they needed to bring to the table yeah. than, say, the, the DGA did. Mm-hmm. But I, I am curious about this one thing. So, so let me ask, and again, you might not be in a position to be able to answer this, but mm-hmm. let me ask you anyway. So when this friend of mine brought up to me that the directors had actually started their talks with the AMPTP a year before their deadline came, and at least on public record, the AMPTP and SAG began their negotiations on June 7th, mm-hmm. three weeks before the deadline. Why... I mean, everybody knew for a long time when that deadline was. Why wasn't the AMPTP and, say, SAG talking with each other in January? Why weren't they scheduling meetings in, in like before Christmas? Like, why did the two sides have to wait until literally the strike was within viewing distance three weeks away? And things look so promising when they said, you know, we're yeah. going to extend the deadline. And yeah. all of us, including me, was like, they're going to avoid this strike. They're going to work it out. But why, why do you think kids. like that, that these negotiations didn't happen in November or December or January and rather waiting until June 7th? I honestly don't have a good answer for that. One of the, the great kind of glass half full things of the strike for me is I am learning so much more about my union. They're doing so many kind of zoom meetings and town halls and things like that, that are introducing me more to the inner workings of it. I am much more politically aware of my union than I was before, which is great Mm. because we have our, our election coming up and everything too. And I've always researched, but now I feel like I'm getting more in those trenches and learning more about it because it's, you know, I've said it before in the show. It directly impacts you, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in the past, I think I haven't been involved enough, honestly. And I say that as somebody who's voted on committees and been part of nominating groups and things like that. I've always assumed, oh, I know what's going on, but I think it's also in the same way that I can, take a kind of armchair expert backing to politics. Well, I know what I'm about and I know that these people are about that same thing. So I guess I'll just vote for them. And now Mm. it's, oh, much like any political thing. It's a lot more nuanced than that. And I really should focus on the minutia. You know, the the one saving grace of this too, and I, I, it frustrates me, especially like with the AMPTP and stuff like that, that these deals are three years. Mm -hmm. Like, Part of me wants to grab, like, when we've got friends of ours. Like, Ray and I have friends who are members of IATSE, and they're, they have nothing to do with the strike. They're out of work. Oh, yeah. Because other two other organizations can't get their shit together. And a part of me wonders, like, why can't the AMPTP, and maybe to a degree the WGA are saying, but, like, hey, guys, these deals are three years. Like, can't you at least say to SAG, okay, look, we don't really like what you're asking for here, but you tell you what. If you agree that we need to revisit this again in three years, and by us acquiescing to you now on this does not obligate us to stick with it in three years, 
we'll give into this for, for now and we can revisit it. So we like, why doesn't the AMPTP or maybe even to some degree, mm-hmm. Sager WJ bring a couple of issues to the table and say, look, we're going to talk again in three years. We're willing to give into this to you that we are not happy with. If you'll give into this on us that we know you're not happy with, and we both agree that we'll sit down and rediscuss these again in a couple of years just so we can get things moving. I mean, what's the holdup to something like that to you? This think? is also great insight for viewers. If This is how John negotiates too. Look, this is not what I want. <laughs> can we come to a compromise here? Let's come, and which, let's, let's discuss it again works. later. Yeah, yes. we're going to come back to it, but let's talk it out. There are certainly a lot of issues on here <laughs> that I think could go that route, right? Hey, maybe this amount of money, maybe this timing of this thing, maybe this percentage is something that we can work on. There's other things on here, though, that I do find to be, this has to be fixed right now, kind mm, of thing. Yeah, there probably right? are primary options. Yeah, just yeah. because of the damage that could happen in that amount of time for certain actors, right? How far they could take the, you know, artificial intelligence, likeness, cloning, that sort of situation. Um, some of the things on there, too, just involving actors of color being lit properly, having makeup and hair artists who can actually make them look the way they should look on camera. Or train them properly. Yes, and and have that training available. That's still one thing that I'm just so floored by of, how is this a big ask? Like, you want your actors to look great on camera. That's that's one of the whole things. You're spending all this money to, to light them and show them and do it. Why wouldn't you get them a makeup artist who works? So there's certain things like that that it's, no, that needs to be figured out right now. But other things, I'm sure once we go back in there, well, I say I'm sure, I hope that we will have some of those moments of there can be some give and take here and we can revisit this later on without hopefully striking again that soon. All that being said, like you and I, I think we were talking like last week, I I think we're both kind of feeling like they all seem to have an end game. And I've been hearing things about September that hopefully that the people on both sides are saying, we think we're going to wrap this up. Yeah, in September. It's a green day song. Now we're just wake me up when September ends. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's all we're hoping to. for. And that's what I keep hearing too. My makeup artist friends, they keep they're Oh my gosh. They're really struggling. Cause you know, that's what they do full time. I, one of my friends was a key makeup artist for several Marvel movies mm. and it's, well, now I'm, gonna go file for unemployment i guess and figure it out and she's doing all kinds of other side hustles and thinking of going to school for other things during this time which is wild of this incredibly gifted super sought after person is gonna have to go maybe go back to school during this time nothing wrong with that but man the actions of everyone else really just has this horrible trickle down effect but I keep hearing it should end soon. It's just what we talked about before, too, was the industry basically closes in November. Thanksgiving hits and all executives, all casting directors are like, I'm out. I'm going to go see, see my horrible family. Bye. Yeah, hopefully this can all get worked out yeah. uh, sooner rather than later. All right, guys, with that down, let's move on to something far more important than the menial things of people's livings. No. <laughs> but we're going to go on to something a little lighter, though. <laughs> something a little bit lighter. You know... I'm going to take this so seriously. <laughs> this year is so deadly. <laughs> this is life or death now. This year, particularly, um, you know, while we've had a couple of big hits in the superhero arena, whether it's, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, there have also been some significant flops. Uh, Blue Beetle, I mean, maybe can find some magic elemental legs and uh, get to something, but it looks like it's trajecting towards a big flop. Flash ended up being a big flop. And it got me thinking, you know, over the years, there have been some movies that have really, really flopped in the comic book superhero genre that I've actually thought were quite good. 
maybe not the greatest films of all time, but quite good nonetheless. So I thought it would be fun today for us to sit down and put together a totally subjective <laughs> list of the five best superhero movies that definitively flopped at the, the old, movies that did deserve better than that. And now listen, again, as any movie lists will go, that's not dealing with objective numbers like box office numbers or territories released in. This is going to be a completely subjective list. I'm 100% sure there's not going to be one viewer that agrees with every single one of my picks in the exact order I put them in. So this is for mine. And then we're going to go over in here, Chris. So let's get over here and start talking about this, shall we? The top superhero flops. All right. I'm going to go from five up to one. And at number five, for me, is Punisher Warzone, directed by Lexi Alexander, who herself was a world champion kickboxer and a United States Marine Corps hand-to-hand combat instructor. Damn. She directed it and brought in the great, late, sadly, great Ray Stevens to play the new Punisher. Critics didn't like it. It completely flopped at the box office, and I don't care. This movie was brutal. It was outrageously fun. I really loved Ray Stevens in the role. Don't get me wrong. I, I love Thomas Jane in the role as well. I love John Bernthal in the role as well. But, but there was something particularly visceral about Ray Stevens' iteration of Punisher, and... Uh, I really like the movie. One of the greatest comic book films of all time? No, absolutely not. No, it's not going to be on that list at all. But I thought it was quite good, had fun. I thought it got shortchanged by both the critics and the box office. And it did indeed flop. Punisher Warzone is my number five. All right. At number four, I'm going to have Eternals. It's so weird. This was the first big Marvel film that fell short at the box office. And, And, you know, you could write, encyclopedias. Rob and I have both talked about this a lot. You can write encyclopedias about maybe why or how, like it was so much the, so unlike Marvel, Marvel movie, right? It it was the first Marvel movie that first of all, just didn't feel like the other Marvel. It wasn't structured the same as the other Marvel movies. It was a lot of deep philosophical. I love the basic philosophical thing about, okay, we can try to save everybody on this planet, but by doing so, we may be stopping the birth of dozens of new worlds. And do we have the right to do that? And right to the end of the film, they never say there's a clean answer to it. And that's the spanning and following these characters through time. I actually grew in my appreciation for this movie as the more I watch it. And Rob absolutely loved the film as well. And I, I just think it hit some people the wrong way because it was so unlike what the typical Marvel movie had been at that time. And maybe it just wasn't what people expecting, but for whatever reasons, uh, this movie Definitely fell short at the box office, but I thought it was quite good. So for me at number four is Eternals. All right, let's get on to number three. Number five, Punisher. Number four, Eternals. For me at number three is indeed this year's The Flash. Now, look, I know there was some talk going around that some people, you know, James Gunn, who I adore, said this is one of the greatest comic book movies he'd ever seen. Well, the first thing I said when I came out of that theater back in April in Las Vegas at CinemaCon was, this is not one of the greatest comic book films ever made. It's not. But I still thought it was great. And, and, and I, listen, that's with, you guys know my opinion on Ezra Miller. You know what I think about Ezra and Ezra's potential future of playing Flash and how I definitively say there's no chance in hell that Ezra should be allowed to do that. But all that aside, 
take all that baggage, put it aside. It was a fun, great movie. Did it have some questionable CGI? Of course it did. Yeah, 100% it did. But, but I thought Michael Keaton's return, I love Supergirl in it. Um, I thought the humor was right on target. For me, it was a really fun movie. I enjoyed it a great deal. <laughs> it tanks so badly. <laughs> so for me, my number three best superhero flop is The Flash. All right, we'll move on to my number two now. At number two, boy, I wrestled with this one, whether this should be the number one, but I, I ultimately landed on making it number two. A movie way far ahead of its time, Mystery Men. A movie oh, that good pick. a grand total made $33 million at the box office. And forget marketing cost, it cost $66 million to make without marketing. This movie is so far ahead of its time. Like, if this movie had been released today, it would have been seen as a brilliant deconstruction of the whole popular comic book movie thing. But this is a movie that came out way before, you know, the first X-Men movie kind of ushered in the new golden age of comic book movies. This was way before that. It's smart. It's funny. Of course, we got the late, great Paul Rubens in there as well. William H. Macy, Hank Azaria, Ben Stiller, uh, Janine Garofalo. Uh, uh, Jeffrey Rush as the greatest superhero villain of all time, Casanova Frankenstein. You had the greatest henchman of all time in the Disco Boys. You had, I mean, it, <laughs> you, the Disco Boys. I haven't seen this movie, so it sounds... And you had really? Pencilhead and the son of Pencilhead. Together, they erase crime. What? Yes. That's you had the PMS Avenger who only fights three days out of the month. Do what? you have a problem with that? Three days. So lucky. That's yeah. so good. <laughs> so, I mean, I seen it. It oh so my God. Ray, you'd love it. <laughs> and the invisible movie. boy who can only turn invisible when nobody's looking at him. It is one of the great, uh, this, this movie is so utterly fantastic. I love this movie passionately and deeply, but for me, it ended up in my, I mean, number two. All right. So let's go on to what my number one is. And this probably won't surprise many people, but my number one best comic book superhero film that flopped is James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. This, this movie, for, forget how it did at the box office. This movie is uh, a triumph. It's incredible. It managed to have this ridiculous scene of these two characters having a contest of how many creative kills can we do in this village and yet have a scene that emotionally breaks your heart as a young woman recalls her broken father and her relationship with her broken father whose own personal demons destroyed him. A movie that somehow managed to take a CGI walking shark looking out the window of a moving van and seeing human connection and you feeling the emotion that they must have felt. How James Gunn made this movie as absolutely brilliant as he did. Now, now and I understand you. some people might be saying, John, it's unfair to categorize it as a flop. It was one of those movies that got put out on Max or HBO Max at the same time that it was put in theaters. It was really, it, it had its knees chopped out from underneath it. I, I get all that, but still it was a flop. It, it was a flop. So I think it deserves on this list. So for me, 
Number five, best comic book movie that was flop is Punisher. Number four, Eternals. Number three, The Flash. Number two, Mystery Men. And number one, James Gunn's Suicide Squad. I struggled about the one and two position, maybe switching them up, but that's how I've got it. So that is my list. Chris, I asked you, uh, I don't know what your list is. Uh, I texted you earlier this morning, asked you to put one together. So what would you say are your top five best superhero flops? This is a great list. Oh, yeah. thank you. I, I put mine together in the parking lot once I got here. I was like, oh, shoot. Okay, let me do this. Um, I'm, I'm starting out making everyone angry. I'm sorry, internet. That's that's what I do. I, birds of prey. Birds of prey. Hey, listen, I hated I the movie, but movie. I know a lot of people that really liked it. I think it's bad. so fun. I think the soundtrack is so great. I love the aesthetic of that movie. I love Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Oh, I think everything about that movie is great, and it makes you want to eat an egg sandwich so bad every time <laughs> I watch it. I love it, and I just loved how vicious that movie could get and stylized, and it just it fired on all cylinders for me, and it is still one of those ones where when people don't enjoy it, I'm like, that's fair, but why? I don't know. <laughs> I feel like obviously the renaming constantly did not do it any favors mm. of just what is the name of this movie I'm supposed to go see? The miraculous quintessent, uh, the emancipate, what is happening? I wish they had just stuck <laughs> to a name and that maybe would have helped a little bit. I know some people are probably also like, maybe if they made a better plot, maybe if they did a mo- better movie, but I really enjoy this one. So that's my number five. Next. Now, is it, I, this might be the Hulk that you're in. The Ed Norton Hulk? My movie. Yeah, your movie yep. is on With my, my list here. my co-star, Ed Norton Jr. Yep. I really enjoyed this, and I I It was loved... probably my scenes that, that did it you for know, you. know, I was yeah. like, there's something about that Canadian-American soldier. <laughs> Who got Good for him for enlisting. <laughs> way, to, way to really assimilate. That's right. <laughs> I really enjoyed this film, though, at the time, and it's such a shame that Ed Norton did not enjoy making it and did not enjoy that they didn't move on with his particular choices with it and kind of blew up the marketing campaign for this. Yeah. But I thought there was a lot of potential here because I am not a fan of the Ang Lee Hulk. That did not do it for me. I was not on board with that one. You didn't like the Hulk one. dogs? I hated it. You the didn't Hulk like Hulk poodle? Oh. I hated it with Phantom every McNulty? fiber of my being. And the whole dad stuff. Oh my gosh. No, no thank you. So I thought they did a great job of yeah, that movie exists, but hey, here we're, we're here now. Yeah. We're doing this. And I really enjoyed that story. I love Liv Tyler so much. Yeah, I think she's I really like so wonderful. And I do think Edward Norton is an amazing banner. I think he makes sense. I think that's smart casting. Now, do I see anyone but Mark Ruffalo playing that role? No. Oh, my gosh. I rewatched The no Avengers. You can wear a Hawaiian shirt to a family barbecue like Mark Ruffalo. Hulk. He really can. That's what I'm saying. Really that's can. what was so good about it. That's that's really what just nailed <laughs> it for me. That was the best part. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So I really enjoyed that one a lot, and I wish other people got on board. But I think the taste of the previous Hulk, plus the kind of, I don't even like what they did with my movie, really soured people on it. All right. This one wasn't a technical flop flop, but it didn't do as well as it could have. It's at a time where everyone was trying to capitalize on Tim Burton's Batman, The Rocketeer. I love this movie so much. and Did it that is, lose money? It barely made money it barely made money well then can we call it a flop? this is where i was like he's gonna fight me <laughs> okay. just let it happen <laughs> no, All right. just let it happen your number one go. was the movie you know that rick flag died they didn't in, make okay? they, they never made the they didn't the sequel, the so it flopped it didn't make a sequel. a sequel it was a good movie. people now view it with all this nostalgia and all this warmth and everything but it was not received well critically it did not do as well as it could and oh my gosh it's such a great one. It's such a wonderful one. And it's one of those things where it was kind of at a time of 
prescribed summer blockbusters. And I don't think we see that anymore too, though, of, well, you liked this movie, so you have to like this one. And we're going to have a whole bunch of movies like that. We saw a trend in that too with like Ants and Bugs Life and where it'd be two movies of the same persuasion at the same time. Volcano and Dante's Peak. Yeah, exactly. Which Dante's Peak forever. That movie's so amazing. Oh my gosh, when Pierce Brosnan's arm snaps. ah, Well, I mean, Volcano, it's, it's in the basin of Los Angeles where it's completely flat and yet there's a volcano. Yep. Coming out of flat land. So yeah. yeah, right there, by definition. Get out of here. Dante's Dante. Peak. Yeah. Dante's Peak forever. All right. That's that's one I knew you wouldn't agree with me on and be like, is it? <laughs> Parking lot list. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But yeah, the rest of them, you're going to be like, Chris, do these count? Dread with Carl Urban. Oh, why wouldn't that count? Oh, okay, cool. I was going to say, I didn't know if you would count this as a superhero movie. I, I mean, Judge Dredd's roots are as a comic yeah. book yeah. hero. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, Excellent. Yeah, I thought about that one too, because it's right. a great movie. It is great. It is so violent and makes me so uncomfortable because it's very scary to me. But man, it is so vicious and well done. And Carl Urban is great. He's great in everything he does. But this is a movie too, where everyone found its footing kind of once it went to DVD. And that's when the movie started getting discovered and marketing just really, really let this movie down. Oh, it did so badly. This was not talked about at all. And so it just came and went in theaters and then blew up once it got to those DVD sales. We actually talked about, we referenced it in our documentary. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, about about what a bad job they did with their marketing. Because this is how bad their marketing was. Mm -hmm. So uh, some viewers know the story, but I, the very first public screening they did of Dread was Mm going to be in San Diego at at a Comic-Con. And I was going to have Carl Urban on my Masters of the Web panel the day that we were going to screen at night. And I was going to be the MC of the the screening. Oh, cool. Okay. And the problem was, I remember talking to the folks at AMC and, and to the crew and saying, here's what I'm really worried about. I think this movie looks like ass. I think I think the trailers <laughs> look garbage, and I'm really scared this movie's going to suck. So I'm going to have Carl Urban, and Carl was such a great guest on the panel. Like, he was wonderful. Um, but so we're going to do it, and then I very, later in the evening, I went to the theater to go watch it. I'm, I'm backstage with Carl and uh, I can't remember the the blonde actress's name who's like his second in the film. Mm-hmm. There, there she is in the in the shot oh, there. Yeah. I'm like, oh, can't wait to see it. This is going to be great. And uh, I'm going to bring you out first and bring you out afterwards and we're going to talk about the movie, blah, blah, blah. So then I went out and sat in the theater to watch the movie and I was blown away. It was so much fun. I love that that you put that on your list. Oh, That's a great a choice. a great one. All right. And then this last one. Follow me on this journey, everybody. <laughs> the Iron Giant. You know what? I'll allow it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, I'll allow it. I think, you know, like sex court TV judge hammer. Yes. Like, yes, I will allow it. That's not a hammer. Your pork hammer? <laughs> it's not a hammer. I, I, you know, I, I think pork you can make hammer. an argument that that fits in here <laughs> in this discussion. Just, What's it a pork? I can't say pork hammer. <laughs> Did you miss me? The Iron Giant. <laughs> Iron Giant, ladies and gentlemen. $70 million budget only made $23 million. Oh, wow. And th- which is crazy to me because this movie was so important to me as a kid. And I, I really think it got uh, a reemergence too because of Ted Lasso. I'm I am just- shocked though because it's iconic. Of a certain generation, everyone feels like, oh, we love that film. Mm-hmm. We all saw it. 
And yet, not a lot of people no. saw it in theaters, apparently. And at the end, he turns into Dominic Toretto. Mm -hmm. Maybe a lot of people saw it like, like, on VHS or something. I think or so. I think it's a similar situation to the Dread stuff of, mm -hmm. well, then your parent maybe got you the VHS after you watched it a couple times at Blockbuster, and then you watched it forever. Wasn't Jennifer Aniston like the voice of the, the mom in it, too? Yeah. Oh, my God. She was the mom. Back the pork hammer. <laughs> <laughs> we need. We really need to make merch for the show. Go back to pork go back hammer. Like, like. But no, that—that go, go, that go, is go. the one, though. Truly, that in this kind of genre, since we'll allow it, really blew my mind because it does seem so iconic, so intrinsically tied to so many people's childhoods. It's he's in Ready Player One. He's mentioned in Ted Lasso. I don't understand how this movie did not do well. I mean, everyone it's seems a to love it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so run down your list again. So mine are Birds of Prey, <laughs> The Incredible Hulk, The Rocketeer, Dread, and The Iron Giant. I love that you and I have none of the identical. Yeah. And you know what there, I'm there was a moment too where I started to put a turtles and I went, he's going to have that on his list. I'm not doing it. Oh, no. <laughs> you know what the funniest thing is? Is that you weren't sure about two of them. Yet you had no backup choice. No, yeah, no you're going to accept this or not? No, no plan B. Just, just like college, Ray. There's no backup. I'll just fail and live with my parents. All right, guys. Obviously, these are very subjective lists. You know, swap a couple in here and there. What would I want to know? Honestly, I would love for you guys to go down into the comments of this video and let us know what would you suggest are your five favorite superhero films that have flopped. Don't. Don't do the thing that Chris did and say, well, it, it didn't make a lot of money. Listen, no, 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 no. I mean, there's an article. Go, go read. There's a Forbes article from 2016 that will absolutely agree with me. Okay. 2016. Truly flopped. <laughs> Truly flopped. Leave your list down below. I love your dread edition on there. Uh, does that make up for it? Kind of does. Okay. Yeah. All right. With that all down, guys, we're now going to move on and start taking the questions that our YouTube channel members have sent in. But, uh, but before we get to that, we're going to take just a minute here and thank another sponsor of today's episode of the John Campus Show podcast, my mobile service provider, and they should be yours, Mint Mobile. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video, Mint Mobile. Signing your life away to a big wireless provider is kind of like being trapped on a roller coaster from hell. Sure, it looks like fun at first. They probably even threw in a free phone, but now you can't get off. Month after month of insane bills and unexpected thrills, like overages and surprise fees. If that sounds like your current big wireless plan, it's time to get off the ride with Mint Mobile. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are just $15 a month. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for just 15 bucks a month. You guys know before I came to Mint Mobile, I was paying triple what I am paying now on the standard big wireless plan, and I will never go back. All plans come with unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get your new unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped right to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com campia. That's mintmobile.com dot com slash campia cut your wireless bill to just 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia and no the mics weren't hot no that's good thank you again <laughs> to our friends at mint mobile They're hot now no hot mics while we're on commercial break yeah i'm in mobile for sponsoring <laughs> this episode of the john campy show podcast but i literally was sweating <laughs> <laughs> All right, with that down, guys, let's get to the questions that our YouTube channel members have sent in, shall we? Chris, what do we got up here? From Wesley, 
Okay, so takeaways from Blue Beetle. Good character in Jaime, great showcase of his powers, but holy hell, this script was undercooked. Mm. The story was pretty cliched, and dialogue was killing me, man. Wish I could enjoy the cheesy charm, but glad Gunn likes the character. I don't know. I mean, look, there were definitely some moments that the that the dialogue didn't work, but you take, uh, this doesn't give anything away if you haven't seen the film. There's, there's a scene where Jaime and his dad are sitting in the lawn talking, right? And I thought the dialogue in that scene was really well put together. Mm-hmm. It was sweet. Um, it it built the connection between the characters. It deepened our emotional attachment to it. Again, I've said before that a lot of the extrovert humor in it, like the, the like, here's a joke, didn't work for me. And on that part, I think the script was a little bit weak. Some of the more subtle humor worked better for me. The action was great. All kinds of, I, look, it, it was your stereotypical comic book origin thing, right? You can go back to Ant-Man. You can go back to Iron Man where I've become a superhero. And it just so happens that my foil in this movie is kind of similar to me, <laughs> right? Whether it's Ant-Man with Yellow Jacket, Iron Man Warmonger, you know, we've seen it tons of times. So yeah, that it was there, but it's it's a proven trope that did kind of work. And I thought it served the movie well, but um, overall, I thought the script was pretty okay. I did. All right. Anyway, what's next? From Dr. Stinky. Hey, John and crew. What is your top three movies you've watched this year? Mine would be Shawshank Redemption, Oppenheimer, and Barbie. All love, bring on the filthy. Well, I mean. Oh, so just any movies we've watched? I, yeah, well, yeah, any movie, not, let's we'll take, that, take that part of it I have it a feeling out. he hadn't seen it or she hadn't seen it before. Yeah, sure. But, but, but yeah. I, I think we're gonna, we'll just confine those. Yeah. I don't like doing top lists, but I, I've told you guys, my number one movie of the year still is uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. My, I, stops. my, I said, stops. my okay. second would be Oppenheimer would be my number two. And my number three is probably Air. Mm, yeah, right oh, Air I think Air's good. in my top three yeah. also. I'm still jumbled. Ops is number one, though, so far. Oppenheimer? Yeah. Do you got uh, Spider-Verse in there anywhere? Um, that's in the top five somewhere. Okay, I'm not still sure mixing it around. Three? I'm letting it marinate a little bit more. Yeah, yeah that's, but, that's never a bad thing. All right, what's next? All right. For Matt. Thoughts on The Nun too. I was so excited for the first one and it ended up being one of the worst horror movies I've ever seen. But still looking forward to the new one. I'll say this. Let's go back to uh, Annabelle. Right? This is the one thing I think Nun's got going for it. I did not like the first Annabelle film. Second one was actually pretty darn yeah, great. second one was pretty good. Second one was pretty damn good. <laughs> so I'm with you. I did not love the first An- Ad Nun film. But... And I'll tell you this too. I'm I'm not thrilled with the trailers for Nun Two. I don't think the trailers for Nun Two have been all that good. But if they can follow the same pattern, like they they learned the lessons with the first Annabelle, then they put the next one, and it was pretty great. Maybe they can do that with the Nun Two. Five Nights is about to go through that. Yeah, <laughs> it's definitely about to go through that. You're have to so do it, uh, Annabelle came out after the first Conjuring, right? First Conjuring was the one that set the stage. Yeah, it was yeah, yeah. Annabelle. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. we got introduced to the Annabelle doll in the previous right. film. Yeah. All right. And then they did the first one, not so good. And then the second Annabelle was actually pretty darn good. All right, what's next? Right. From Matt again. Some theaters will be showing the original Jurassic Park this weekend. I'm for sure going. Will you be? Probably not. Um, but only because they do wide and limited re-releases of Jurassic Park a lot. And, and so, <laughs> I mean, I've, I've got to see it on the big screen again not too long ago. I, and again, not too long before that. Uh, so, no, probably not, but I will again sometime in the future. I, I love it when big classic movies get put back on a big screen so you can actually see them the proper way again. That's great. All right, what's next? From Zentis. Hey, crew. 
Please don't judge me, but Kanan Jarrus has become my all t- uh, favorite all-time Star Wars character. He's pretty great. I grew up with the original trilogy, but something about Kanan's arc was super awesome to me, from barely becoming a Jedi to him realizing that he's taught Ezra as much as he could, and that Ezra may be stronger than he is. What do you think of Kanan? I, listen, I love the Kanan character. I really do. Played by Freddie Brinz uh, Geller. Um, <laughs> as always, tease Frezzy, Freddie about. Um, so... Uh, by the way, if you don't have it, if you have not seen them, you should go back and watch the Star Wars movie trivia battle that that I had with uh, Freddie Prince Jr. and uh, um, Napsock. Whit, uh, Whitwer. Oh, Whitwer. Napsock yeah. was on my team. Okay. Yeah, against and uh, which, by the way, me and Ken Napsock won. But uh, you know, just throwing that out there, Freddie. Uh, first of all, is a tremendous guy off camera. He's just tremendously wonderful. Really nice guy. Really, really nice dude. He loves wrestling too. And loves pro wrestling. Yes, like it's, it's in his soul, man. Don't it's stop. in his soul. But um, I loved his character, Kanan Jarrus. I, I really did. I thought he was a wonderful character. I thought he got even more interesting as the series progressed uh, in his battle with Darth Maul. Um, I, you know, and he gets blinded in that, which opened up a whole new dimension for the character. And then of course, ultimately the characters end the, the hero sacrifice in the final season. It's just a wonderful character journey of a, and I mean this not in a disrespectful way, but of a side star Wars character. (laughs) Um, but a wonderful journey brought wonderfully to life, uh, by Freddie and, uh, just a really, really good. I'm not gonna, not near the top of my all time favorite Star Wars characters, but a really, really great. Character. I started Rebels. <gasps> hey, you? Yeah. you know what? Two episodes. The in. first, the first two episodes two and episodes or whatever. Yeah. But Campia Plus was, on it, was, Plus. was on this weekend, so I started watching it, and then I went on to Twisted Metal. <laughs> okay, you know what yes. though? Dead serious. I found something you need to watch today. I because I looked for this this morning. It is a 21 minute video that basically sums up. The Rebels series. It Someone takes, suggested it's that. It's probably a good thing to do before Ahsoka tonight, just so you can be caught up with where everything's at with Ahsoka. Again, it's it's a short. It's, it's a can time. I go reverse? Let's say if I do like these characters, go yeah, reverse absolutely. and watch it because I don't really want to. I just want to. But you may Ahsoka like the bites. characters a lot more yeah. if you understand a little bit but of the background. I'll do first. a reverse. It's a twist. Twenty minutes. But I. But see, the amount my, of time we're taking we, to make we Dr. Ta- noodles. We talked about this, but uh, the other day, because someone said to watch it, I said. Yeah. I would rather go through the whole series one episode after a time if this Ahsoka right, wants right. me to watch. Because I just feel it doesn't give the series like a... It's, no, but it might it might give you just... A, some insight. Some, re, some some key major events just to give you to so have that background okay. understanding of okay. it. Okay. I guess a short video, just something all to think right, about. All right, all right, all right. All right, let's we'll start next. with the first Iron Man. From Esteban. <laughs> is there what are you a talking about? Yeah, and then it goes Iron Man 2, and then it goes, yeah. And then it goes to Sophie. Yeah, the whole MCU yeah. thing. Yeah. You'll get it. Is there a limit to how much energy they should pour into the DC universe? Maybe standalone movies are the way to go like Joker and Batman. It has to hurt the company to see this original universe collapse so hard. Look, we all, we all got to remember, and it seems a lot of people keep forgetting this. This this current iteration of the DCU is is ending. It's, it's over. They're wrapping it up. They're going to move on. At the end of the day, whether something's in a shared cinematic universe or not has really no bearing on to whether a movie's good or not. You know, Robert Pattinson's Batman is not great because it's not in the DCU. It's great because it's a great movie, whether it was in the DCU or not. And, and it wasn't. Um, you know, 
Wonder Woman 1984 was not a bad movie because it's in the DC the DCEU. It's a bad movie because it's a bad movie, whether it's in the DCEU or not. The energy that gets expensive tying all this, that's that's in the executive boardrooms. Like that's going to be James Gunn and Peter Safran's responsibility. At the end of the day, it still comes down to screenwriters, directors, producers, filmmakers, cinematographers, designers, all that kind of stuff to make a great movie in and of itself. And if you do that, and it happens to be part of a shared cinematic universe, great. If you fail, being in a cinematic universe doesn't save you. So no, I, I don't think the issue is just focus on standalone movies. I've said for a long time, I don't believe it should be an either or, either with DC or Marvel. It shouldn't be either we do cinematic universe or we do standalone films. I think you should do both. I think Joker and the Batman prove it, that you can have a successful well, maybe not in the DCU situation, right? but you can have a successful ongoing cinematic universe and you can have successful one-off, what if, you know, Elseworld kind of projects that stand on their own where you can have filmmakers and stories that don't have their hands tied together by the fact that you have some continuity going on in a shared cinematic universe. It should be both. And if James Gunn and Peter Safran can make that work, I think it's going to be a model that, places like Marvel and any other studio that wants to try creating a, a comic book universe of some sorts should be able to follow. That's just my thought. All right. What's next? Also, John, Olivia Thurlby. Thurlby, right. Yes, yeah. that's right. From, from drag. I'm on top of things. Yeah. She's <laughs> delightful, by the way. She's absolutely delightful. All right. What's next? From Kayak. Let's say Apple by Disney. How likely is it that they would exclude Disney plus apps from Android, making Disney's library exclusive to Apple devices? It could boost their sales, but I bet many customers, myself included, would just cancel their Disney Plus subscription if that happened. Very, 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 very unlikely. Yeah. I mean, there's a, you can there's a lot of Apple software you can get on Android phones. Um, and their whole thing is, hey, yay, Android's making all these phones that is making us money because people are consuming our buying our and consuming our content. I'll tell you what would be more likely, and this won't happen either. It's more likely that Google wouldn't allow Disney Plus on Android phones. It's like, you're, you're not going to make money off of our... But again, that wouldn't happen either. So I, I, I think the chances of that are very, very, very slim. Yes, Apple won't let... Yeah, what, what's the Apple text messaging program called? Uh, iMessage? iMessage, yeah. They won't let Google phones have iMessage, which is really stupid and pathetic of them. Uh, but it's not even the best messaging program, but I mean, like whatever. Yeah, like Android, you can't get Apple Plus, right? Because I can't, I can't download it on my Samsung Apple. But like, I, I don't watch this stuff on my phone. I watch it on my TV. And, really? Yeah. And wait, so that's because I have a Google Chromecast. Do you? And I'm able to download Apple yeah, TV you Plus. Can and that's do, a Google device. Maybe that was that's based on Android. Maybe they've added it. Maybe it was just like a delay or something. Okay. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. But I think they'll ultimately let them do it because they can make money there. That flip yeah. phone, though. Looking real nice to me. What the Motorola Razor? No, no, that flip, the the flip, the Samsung. The Samsung flip? Yeah. I well, Motorola Razor cool. is a flip phone too. I'm saying, yes, yeah, Samsung has it a flip. The one that cool like flips up like this or flips out? Yeah, the one that no, no, fits in the, the pocket. Looks there's like there's a, the fold. Yeah, the fold. Yeah, no, I like the fold. Oh, yeah, I like the fold more than the flip. I, I'm, I'm, oh, actually, do they have two different? Yes. Yeah. yeah, there's one that one opens this way, and one that opens this way. The one I'm talking about looks like a complete square, and it fits in back pocket. The small. That's probably the fold. The fold. There you go. That looks cool. To me. Yeah, I, 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 I would love to get them. I'm just waiting for this technology to get there a little bit yeah, more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, what's next? 
From JK, hello crew. Given the low opening weekend of Blue Beetle, the positive word of mouth and nothing big opening, what would you say are the chances of a less than 50% drop on its second weekend? By the way, Chris, great job on Friday's open mic. Aw, thanks. Um, less than 50 is pretty ambitious. The vast, 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 vast majority of films do not take less than a 50% drop. So, but it can make less than a 60% drop. So I, I'll go with less than a 60% drop. I won't go with a less than 50. But but you are right. There's not like a couple of big, stiff, brand new things coming out, but there's still people want to go out to see Barbie and still people want to go to see Oppenheimer and hopefully more people will go see Strays and stuff like that. So under 50% drop is ambitious, possible, but I'll say under 60. All right, what's next? From Woodcut Art, I'm curious to see if there's a trailer for Rebel Moon out. A lot of fan trailers out there. I know it's the wild west of fake YouTube trailers and TikTok videos of mothers breaking eggs on their kid's forehead. Please leave room for the real trailers. I believe I read that the first teaser is supposed to come out this afternoon. Oh, is Ooh. it? I think, I think I read that last night, unless that was a fake story, I but I, I believe I saw reports saying that. So uh, if it does, we'll definitely be talking about it tomorrow. All right, what's next? From Sam Fisher. Do you know what movie I've been thinking about a lot lately? How would we? Tower Heist, starring Ben Stiller, Eddie Murphy, Matthew Project, Tay Leone, and Alan Alda. That was such a fun movie. You know what? It was a fun movie. Who are you talking to, John? But it got scarred. The movie got scarred. Why? How? Because it was directed by Brett Ratner, who that in and of itself is not the scar. But, well, I mean, depending on how you look at it, but at the time. So Brett Ratner was then going to be producing the uh, the Oscars and was going to get Eddie Murphy to host. And that was a problem because everybody saw right through it. Like he was only going to do that to get to give more free promotion to his own movie. And mm. it caused a bit of a stir and then it all kind of felt. But listen, as far as just the movie itself goes, it's a delightful <laughs> little movie. It also had... Um, the girl from Precious, mm. who it's the only other movie I remember seeing that. She won the Academy Award in Precious, and yeah. I can't remember the actress's name. Monique or Gabby? Gabby, I want to say. I can't I can't remember. She won the Academy Award for Precious. I'm on and top the, of things. Don't and worry. then she raised on top of it. And it's, Yeah, Gabernet. That's her name? Gaber, Gabernet. Gabernet, I believe. You know, Gabare. you could have watched that Rebels video in the time it took you to pronounce that name. Just saying. Sedebi. Anyway. Gabourey Sadebi. All right. So she was in Tower Heist as well. I remember, I think that was the only other time I saw her in something. But anyway, yes. Charming little movie. I really quite liked it as well. All right. What's next? From Ulatan. Hello, Campia crew. Greetings from the San Diego airport. Hey. Do you have any favorite movies or shows to watch during flights? Do you like rewatching or exploring new stuff you haven't seen yet? Ooh. Oh, that's a good question. Like... I hate flying. I, I avoid flying when I can. I do fly when I must, but I have a fear of heights and therefore I really hate. But you'd never tell if you were sitting beside me that I was screaming in stress on the inside. I looked like I was just kind of bored, whatever. Mm -hmm. But I, watching movies, anything to distract my mind from being aware that I'm 10,000 feet above the ground. Oh, you're anything more than that. What's that? You're more than that. <laughs> It's like, like 50,000 yeah. feet. Yeah. But I mean, it, it, anything that can distract me. So if it's a long flight, the longer the movie, the better. So that's why my go-to is any of the Lord of the Rings films. 
It number one because it captures my imagination. Um, that or a good comedy, making you mm. laugh will distract you pretty good. But normally, the longer the better. Uh, Lord of the Rings. Any of you guys have a go-to in-flight movie you like to watch? A lot of times, I go with just what I couldn't catch in theaters yeah. or what Logan wouldn't go see with me. Some of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if there's, I, I, I'm a sucker for just watching chopped reruns. Honestly. I love flying. I love flying so much. There is no greater luxury than drinking in the sky. <laughs> it's so magical. So I don't need to be distracted. I'm just like, this is fantastic. Yeah. Just bring with you, like, you know, USB hard drive with all the sex core TV episodes. <laughs> Put it Your on that. Your seatmate must love you. Put it on, Put it on the main screen. screen. <laughs> oh, you haven't seen this? Check it out. Yeah, watch it. For, bring your kid over here's here. Your pen. <laughs> all right, let's take two more. What's next? All right. From Brian Meadows. Will any of you be traveling to Orlando? Yeah. I'm Brian Miller. Will any of you be traveling to Orlando when Universal's new park opens? The resort is already really great with the inclusion of Diagon Alley, but the new park is confirmed to have a larger version of Super Nintendo World and rumored to have lands for How to Train Your Dragon, Wizarding World Paris, and Universal Monsters. Been watching the construction updates for a while, and it's a marvel to witness. I don't travel anywhere to go to a park. Yeah. Never have, never will. <laughs> I can't even travel to the Best Buy down the street because I don't like I don't like the roads to, that you take. I mean, if Disneyland wasn't only a half hour away, I would never have gone there. Not that I'll ever go back. Fuck you, Disneyland. That's not all of us. Disney. Yeah, that's not all of us. I want to see Star Wars Land, please. Dear Disney, go fuck yourself. No, How's that? I love you. Um, but. Uh, Universal Studios Hollywood, if it wasn't just in Burbank, I probably wouldn't go there. I love Universal Studios Hollywood, but I will never travel to go to a park. Um, Anne, which is frustrating for Anne because she wants us to go to Orlando. The only reason I've seen Disneyland or Disney World in Orlando is because we were down there for Star Wars Celebration. Um, But also, fuck Star Wars Celebration. Wow. No, 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 not for me. Uh, But all that being said, I, I will not. But if I am... If I am ever down in the Orlando area, I will absolutely go and check it out. Is there a train that goes from here to Orlando? Probably. I'm, I'm going to guess. It's a long somewhere. train ride. There's a lot of trains. Yeah, long train ride. Long train ride. Uh, no kidding. <laughs> Anne and I have actually talked. We've been watching a couple of YouTube videos of like long country train yeah, rides. Yeah, there's, there's one that goes to Chicago and New York. Yeah, yeah you, we can go all the way to Toronto. I yeah. just want to take the one that goes up to Seattle because of the when you go by the ocean there's supposed to be that one view of like the night uh, yeah, I done, i'll tell you what the cross country one you get some gorgeous country views yeah yeah, like yeah. lakes and, and mountains and it's absolutely gorgeous we've been thinking about doing that so i've done maybe, the train ride from la to portland yeah and then i drove to seattle but yeah mm-hmm. it's great it's pretty all right let's take one more what's our last one today all right uh one second here, here jonathan's picking one out uh, it would be Ziehos. Ziehos. Hey, John and crew. One of your viewers said that they are going to teach English in Vietnam and asked you if you liked Steven Seagal. Seagal aside, I'm ecstatic to hear that there are others out there that are going for the same goal as myself. I'm working towards teaching English in Japan. And knowing there are other John Campion and movie fans <laughs> doing the same, it makes me feel inspired and motivated. Thank you, everyone. Oh, well, thank you so much for sharing that. That's amazing. Um, I remember... It was so funny. Just you mentioned that it brings us back story. So, uh, you guys, some of you remember that a, just a couple of years ago, Anne went for two months to Hong Kong. Uh, when she, this is back when she was working for Hasbro, so it might have been three years ago now. Anyway, she went to Hong Kong for two months to go to the Hasbro offices out there to do some stuff. And on her second day there, she was crossing the street in Hong Kong, and a guy stopped her in the road. Like, "Are you Anne Campia?" 
like, oh, I watch okay. your husband's show and blah, blah, blah. She was like, so it's, it's seriously, when we get messages from people who say, hey, I'm writing from Peru or hey, we're writing from London or hey, we're writing from, you know, people writing from Japan and China. And like, it, it's always amazing to me. Like, we're just in, like, at, at one point I was just in a converted second bedroom or a converted garage or in this little small studio space. And like there are people literally, it's like the technology still kind of baffles me. There are literally people all over the world who are watching this, which is crazy to me. It's insane. And it's pretty cool when we get to hear stories like that, when like people meet other people who watch the show as well. So thank you for sharing. I'm still genuinely confused when people say hi. I assume that we know each other in some way. I got spotted at AMC. Oh yeah. Anytime I'm at Regal, we'll be like, hey Chris. I'm like, hey, what's up? And then I'll have a moment of, what party did I see you at? I don't know. And then it takes me a minute yeah. to be like, oh, you know me from the internet, which makes me sound like the oldest person ever. You say it out loud like that? I too? do. I go, you know me from the internet. No, perhaps oh. for that guy traveling to another country teaching anything, you know, well, teachers, if yeah. he's going to be a teacher, I mean, probably. That's amazing. And with that down, guys. That'll do it for today's installment of the John Campy Show podcast. Thank you so much for being here and making the show part of your day. Big special thank you to our YouTube channel members. Uh, for being YouTube channel members, you support everything that we do, but also for sending in those topics and questions for us to discuss. Uh, don't forget, guys, a little bit later today, we're going to be having an open mic. And also, we're going to get our quick first reactions to watching Ahsoka a little bit later this evening. Keep your eyes open on the YouTube channel. We'll put that video up. And of course, we'll talk about the first two episodes of Ahsoka a little bit more extensively on tomorrow's episode of the John Campbell Show podcast. Uh, and until then, for the people in the room, Rady, Michelangelo, Michelangelo, or right beside him, Jonathan Voico. I don't have a pillow. Donatello Carr. Oh, yay. My name's John Campia. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye. Sports card. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.